Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and today we have a couple special guests with us. For all the YouTube watchers out there, I'm going to acknowledge the camera up there, uh, not in a very photogenic way, but hello to everybody watching on YouTube. Um, today we got, again, special guests. Uh, really, uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this episode. This is something I feel like we don't talk about enough that we need to get out there and we need to be more open with and i'm joined by our our uh, safety dico all things vaccination uh, mental health related uh, sean simmons from here at mchd sean why don't you tell the listeners you i'm giving you the the reins here because this is this is definitely your baby and you put this one together and i'm again this is not my area of expertise but this is you know one of the more valuable topics if not the most valuable that we've had on in some time. So tell the listeners about our guest and tell the listeners, you know, where the kind of where the genesis was for this idea and how you put this one together. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate, you know, kind of handing over. I feel honored to be a part of your podcast. You know, this is a big deal, but uh, you know, May is coming up by the time we have released. This is, we'll be in May and that is the national mental health awareness month. And I think it's important, you know, part of my role is uh, working on mental health for the district and uh, for cooperating agencies. So that's across the region. I think it's important that we kind of bring it to the forefront. We make it we make it known that uh, the more awareness we can bring to mental health and mental health issues and the stigma, the better we are as, a, as an agency and as peers. And we can work together to uh, to increase our, uh, you know, our, our wellness. So we're talking about Mental Health Awareness Month, you know, started in 1949. It, it was designed to increase awareness for mental health issues, uh, as well as celebrate the recovery of those that have been uh, battling the affliction. Uh, then looking at EMS professionals uh, specifically, uh, as far as suicide deaths in the, in the industry, we have 5.2% uh, is what's published versus the 2.2% of uh, suicide deaths in other professions. Uh, pretty alarming statistics. And then whenever we look at, you know, mental health disorders specifically, you look about 27% of EMS professionals are going to battle some type of mental health is illness, whether that be, uh, you know, uh, addiction, uh, depression, bipolar, uh, you know, ADHD, every across the board. And that's, that's saying that if, if you're having a crew change of four people at your station, one of those four people is battling some type of mental health illness. So it's, it's, not, it's not hidden. It's not rare. It's, it's out there. And people that you know are battling some type of mental health illness. So I thought it was important that we we celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month, and we could do that with a with a podcast and with the podcast 360. And we can bring on some special guests that are professionals in the uh, in the industry. So we invited Justin Ferris. He's the uh, he's the PIO amongst many other things <laughs> for the Cypress Creek uh, Hospital Behavioral Health Hospital in Harris County. So uh, Justin, uh, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Justin, why don't, uh, you know, one of the things that you do out at uh, Cypress Creek, or the, the thing you do, I, I guess, is uh, you coordinate and run the, uh, the Honor Strong program. Sure. Uh, it's a dedicated unit. Can you tell us what the Honor Strong program is and what you've been doing for uh, the industry? Yeah, so we started the Honor Strong program back in um, 2018. Actually, it was right after Hurricane Harvey happened. Uh, it just kind of fell in our lap. We weren't really prepared for it. And then all of a sudden we started seeing a bunch of EMS uh, dispatchers, uh, police officers, firefighters starting to show up with, 
you know, presents to the ER with psychiatric issues. Um, then we started kind of digging into the problem a little bit more and we realized there's actually a pretty significant prevalence of mental, uh, need for, you know, mental health treatment for these, this population. The biggest problem we ran into though was making it to where it was something that was comfortable for them to come to. Um, one of the biggest stigmas in mental health is for uh, first responders. Uh, they're worried about they're losing their job. And so we catered the, when we wrote the program, we basically catered to that. Um, we made it to where it's confidential, it's private, there's a whole process for everything um, to where, I mean, down to where we have certified first responder counselors. Uh, we handpick our, our staff to make sure that they're in tune with, with the type of situations that you run into every day. Um, I will say that we have seen since COVID, a significant increase in uh, EMS admitting to the hospital, uh, mainly with major depressive disorders or stress-related disorders. Um, with kind of COVID throwing that on, on top of that, just kind of throwing everything, you know, into into gear, I guess, basically. Total, uh, total disarray, right? Like Pretty much. Everything lifestyle-wise. I've, right. heard, I've heard both y'all bring up stigma. And just I'm going to interject here real quickly, and, and hopefully this discussion... You know, I think Sean's goal, your goal with what you're doing with the Honor Strong program is to break down that stigma, sure. right? And the, the stigma that, A, it's not common. B, it's something you should be ashamed of. C, it's something you're going to lose your job over, those mm -hmm. sort of things. And I want to get into how we handle that here at, uh, you know, here at the hospital district as far as confidentiality and, and having access and, and encouraging right. access for our folks because, you know, those three things are probably the most important pieces to this puzzle from a, sure. you know, an EMS provider, paramedic, uh, first responder standpoint is that, again, one in four are going to deal with this, double the rate of suicide. This is not, mm -hmm. you're not alone. Um, you know, this is not uncommon and there shouldn't be a stigma. You know, if you've right. got an asthma flare, there's no, no shame in going to the doctor and getting your, getting your inhaler refilled. Uh, if you're, mm -hmm. You know, if you're going through COVID and PPE and Hurricane Harvey and, you know, uh, the ice storm and all the things that we're, we've gone through over the past few years is as emergency care providers, whether it's medics or, or you know, firefighters, mm -hmm. ED nurses, ED docs. I mean, there was two new uh, emergency physician suicides um, just in the past week um, that I've seen make the round on on social media. So, so we actually expanded our program to include uh, frontline healthcare workers probably about halfway through COVID when we started to realize we started having, um, you know, ER charge nurses present, walk straight in from in front doors of the hospital and say, Hey, I want to kill myself. And okay. So, I mean, and, and one big thing that we've done too is like you said, the confidentiality piece of it is we wanted to make it to where it's not even a question if you're going to have confidentiality. Um, and if we work with each County, with each, department chief district to make sure that your job is not affected. That's not our, our goal at all. It's, it's goal is to make sure you have somewhere to go back to work. Um, and right now we have a pretty successful uh, rate with that. And the confidentiality, I'd say, is, is such a huge piece, especially for people that are seeking help, uh, you know, from an agency standpoint, from administration, whenever you have somebody that's coming up to you and saying, uh, hey, I'm having these issues. One of the biggest things that you need is that trust. You need to trust that they can open up to you. They can have uh, a safe haven to reach out for. They, you know, they're not going to be disciplined or, uh, you know, you hear people say, put the target on their back. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's such a huge thing. You have to understand, you know, instill that trust in your crews. And then whenever they do come up to you, uh, turn that trust around and, and fulfill it. So I know at, at MCHD, whenever we have somebody come up to us and we say, 
uh, hey, I'm having these thoughts, I'm having a really hard time with this, you know, I'm having these stressors, I need some help. One of the, one of the first things we say is, okay, this is between, this is between us. Uh, it's not going anywhere else besides the people that need to know to get you taken mm -hmm. care of. Uh, here are the steps we can take. Here are these resources. Is to understand that nobody else outside of this room is going to know about this unless you decide to tell them. Right. So we put this back on them saying, hey, celebrate your recovery, celebrate your trips, your, you know, your, your improvements, but don't feel like you're pushed into it. This is, this is completely up to you. So I'm going to go back to something you just, mm -hmm. just said, and uh, Justin just said, and I'll kind of tag on the end of Sean's there. If anybody listening out there has worked with Sean, it's obvious within about a nanosecond that confidentiality and treating this disease process with respect, just like you would any other, is, you know, this is Sean's foundation and what he does every day. So uh, we're lucky to have someone like that here. If you're in a listening uh, agency somewhere else and, you know, you want to learn from someone and learn from an example, uh, you know, Sean's open and available and get with him offline because this is, this is what he does every day. And I think the crews out there, I don't think, I know the crews out there would echo that it's not just empty words. This is, this sure. is the way we manage it here at MCHD. And that's, that's, that's the foundation to mm -hmm. having folks accept that program is again, not feeling like that target is there. If the charge nurse walks into you, Justin, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm suicidal, you've already gotten to the, to the end point there. You, you know, you know what you're having to deal with. Right. And that, that's when things have, you know, progressed that, that didn't come in, you know, five minutes. That's a progression over probably days, weeks, months, sure. correct? Sure. So we're on the truck, you know, I've got my, my partner, you know, my chief, I've got the, the people that I work with every day and COVID's bogging me down. We've got, you know, PPE stressors. I've got some exposures, high risk, you know, the hospital wall times are long. You know, we're short staff. We don't have enough in charges. All the things that we've been going through here at MCHD over the past year are starting to weigh on me. Mm -hmm. What are some, what are some warning signs before we get to that? I'm, I'm the end of the rope and I'm suicidal. Right. What are some things you could see in yourself coping with stress problem signs and then problem signs you could see in your partner. So taking okay. it from both, both directions, like looking at, you're looking inward and also looking at the people sure. around you. What are some of those warning signs? I mean, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the partner too. I mean, if you've been with somebody a long time as their partner, you're going to notice if there's a change in them most of the time. Uh, but sometimes you're not. Um, I would say some of the things that, that to look for would be, you know, loss of feeling safe, extreme fatigue, you know, inability to control their emotions, starting to get burned out or just direct suicidal ideations. And, and those kind of go hand in hand from what we've seen so far during COVID, um, that kind of goes in line with what we've seen as far as the MS personnel goes as, as kind of our top five. I say that, that burnout word is such a, is such a huge thing. Like, uh, I feel like whenever we hear that someone say, man, I'm burned out. That's like, oh man, this is, this is big. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how, how can I recognize burnout in myself? Like I know there's been several times whenever I'm sitting at sitting on the truck or sitting in the office and I'm like, man, I just, I cannot do this. So like, if I'm, if I'm on the truck right now, what is something that I would see in myself to maybe help myself recognize that I'm hitting burnout? Is it, is it, I awesome? would say probably like lack of empathy, you know, not moving as fast as you used to, not having as much care as you used to, probably making common mistakes that you, that you weren't normally make. Uh, fatigue is always, I think, kind of going to be part of that too. And then I'd say different ups and downs emotion, emotion wise. That'd be a big tip from like a supervisor or immediate supervisor to say, you know, you've had a crew that's been great. They've, they've had no issues. They've, they've always been doing, you know, 
uh, you know, kind of ex- extra mile things. And then suddenly they're on the radar. They're, they're mm-hmm. making the common mistakes. They're not making their response times. They're not, you know, they're forgetting their uniforms that whatever the issue is, right. you know, as a supervisor, you should probably take notice of that and be like, I mean, right and on. if you track a lot of that data too, you can kind of tell with your consistent people, if all, if they're always consistent, then all of a sudden their numbers start to fluctuate. That could be a sign. I mean, at least something to look into, especially if they're always consistent. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the first question I feel like we try to ask even from a clinical side, right? Not just operationally, you know, punctuality, uniform, truck check, you know, those sort of things that may be the sign to the soup. But even if you're in on a, on a run review from the clinical side as a medical director, hey, is everything okay? You know, everything okay at home? How are you doing? Do you mm-hmm. need help? That, that's got to be your first question before you start pointing fingers, right? right? And that lack of empathy and the loss of empathy is, to me, more obvious from the outside. In other words, I'll see it, and if I know sure. you all as providers, then I see you patient-blaming, angry at patients, arguing with patients. That's in my experience has been easier for me to see in others than it is in myself. Oftentimes when it's, when I get to see it in myself and I've, you know, I think we all have varying fluctuations with burnout and there's, it's definitely a spectrum and a gray zone. And anytime that you're in the stressful world of providing emergency healthcare and all the things that involves, you know, as a medic and, you know, as an emergency physician, probably have to expect a little bit of that. But when you start, having difficult interactions with patients, start you know, bickering with patients, start having, you know, not even to patient complaints, just like I used to go through the shift and not get, not get mad at folks. And now I'm mad at every third patient or every third patient is mad at me. Maybe time to, to look in the mirror a little bit. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to do that when it's you. Sometimes it's easier for me to say, Hey, Sean, you know, last few shifts have been rough. Everything. Okay. You know, just a little bit more, a little bit more turmoil than usual. You know, and, and that's, that's a tough conversation to bring up because you've got to, you got to sort of call somebody out a little bit, but you've got to do it in a caring way. I'm not sure that I'm an expert there. Um, I mean, camaraderie is a big part of it too. And you also have to have approachable leadership, I would say, to where if they identify that, they can come to you about that, knowing that that's something that they can talk to you about. Yeah. It, le- it leads us nice into your, into your next one there on, yeah. on the list. So, I mean, you were saying the, uh, one of the first signs is your partner, your partner is going to notice something's wrong with you. So if, if I'm on the truck with, with you, Justin, and, and, you know, we're, we're going on notice that you're getting short tempered, you're, you're getting, you're sniffing at patients, you're starting to have these confrontations and maybe mm-hmm. signs of burnout. What are some things that I can say to you? What, what can I say to you? Then at the same time, what should I not say? What, what should I avoid saying to you? I mean, I, to me, I don't know if it's really, and from what I've heard from, from anybody that's been through our program, is it's not necessarily about what you say, it's about what you do. Um, how and how approachable you are and how available you are basically uh, no one really likes to be called out I wouldn't think um, or to be told maybe hey maybe they're not at 100% on top of their game uh, but I think it's always being that person that um, having that comfort level and then being able for you know being approachable for them to be able to talk to you about it uh, and just being like hey man what's wrong with you you okay you know I don't point like you used to be but if you have if you don't have that that trust and that that comfort level why would I tell you so what on the opposite spectrum or when we come up to it or when we, we walk into the shift and we, we see somebody that's going through this, what is something that I should absolutely, I mean, one of the things that I hate hearing is, uh, just get over it. That that's something mm-hmm. that absolutely drives me insane. What are there other key terms or words like we should absolutely avoid for somebody that's going through either a crisis or burnout or, um, I don't know. I'm a big believer in being just blunt, straightforward and honest. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, all, and just making it known what's out there. Be like, hey, man, there's stuff out there that can help, and it's not going to jeopardize your job. Right. If you need it, you know, here's this packet for you. So at some point, you know, whether the partner is open to uh, receiving help or opening opening up to you, uh, if it starts to impact operations, clinical care, and you start having some concerns of your partner's safety, your mm-hmm. own safety, and the patient's safety, you're going to have to raise that concern up to a up to a supervisor level. Sure. What what should we look for? What what are kind of kind of triggers that we should uh, look for before we make that reach or, or reaching up to the chain of command? Um, I mean, there's a couple of things you can do, and it's something we we've kind of implemented lately too. Is we're we've we're doing a huge tele assessment launch um, and kind of expansion. Um, so that may be something that you can include. You know, hey, why don't you talk to this person real quick and and just kind of get assessed, you know, off the record and and see maybe you're not where you thought you were. Maybe you're not identifying some of the things that are the issues. Um, I mean, that's always an option, but, um, I mean, I think if you're looking at it from that whole, if, if you're looking at a general overview of everything and you're seeing all these, these signs and everything's making sense and you've got this incident making sense with this and this not making sense with this, um, you've basically painted a picture of, of there's an issue and now it's time to take it to that next level. Mm-hmm. Say, Hey, why don't you, let's go look at getting, you know, getting somewhere, and at least get a diagnosis if there's one there. Yeah, and I know here here locally we have a lot of we have a lot of resources. I mean, we have mm-hmm. the partnership with Cypress Creek, we have a partnership with uh, Tri County, we have our EAP services. We have a lot of therapists that and counselors that have reached out and offered to be you know kind of available for us. What uh what are some other type of resources that we should look into if we're if we're talking about counseling or therapy? What's the difference between those two? And then if we're talking about you know. Uh, medications, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's such a great area. And I, 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 this is one of the things that I dread, you know, working with people with mental health illnesses, especially on the truck is they say, Oh, my PCP gave me this list of medications. When do we, when should we be comfortable talking to our PCP? And when should we probably dive into a specialty like a psychiatrist? I mean, psychiatrist is usually going to be for crisis situations for the most part. Um, if it's something that's, that needs to take it to an elevated level when you're not if a therapist won't help or if they need a medication adjustment or, or really, I mean, if they're just like, Hey, I'm, I'm really suicidal, you know, a psychiatrist helps at that point because they can, you know, work with, with the department, make sure that they get the right assessments done, make sure they get the right medications done, make sure the medications aren't interfering with other ones um, that they may have, which, which happens a lot. I mean, I would say if you're looking, if you're seeking out therapists, seek out somebody that has, that is a first responder background mm-hmm. that you, that is relatable to you, uh, I, mean, I think that's the biggest the biggest thing is if you're talking to somebody they have no clue they haven't lived your same experience it doesn't really generate that much trust uh for it so you want to have somebody that's that understands where you're coming from and has that kind of background and is certified in it um we required our uh therapists when we first opened the program to be certified for responder counselors uh which they had to go through you know credit hour programs and do ride-alongs and all kind of stuff and they had to have a background in either you know prior military service or um a first responder. So there is a difference between a you know a normal civilian counselor versus a first responder certified counselor. Yes. Yep. I mean, it's, you have to pass an exam. You have to be a, you know certified license. You have to be a master level clinician. Yeah, I'm tagging on a couple things there mm-hmm. that you you mentioned. One, out of all the negative that's come from COVID, which Sean knows as well as anyone else, there's an avalanche of negative from COVID. Sure. There has been some silver linings, and one of those for for me is the push forward and the increased availability of of telehealth options. Right. right. And from a mental health standpoint, 
you know, in my own personal experience, when you're, you know, when you're down, when you're anxious, when you're um, really struggling, sometimes just the act of making that phone call, scheduling the appointment, clearing that time out of your day and driving to that appointment, whether it's, you know, psychiatry, counseling, some combination, that's too much of a hurdle. Or at least it has been for me in the past personally. That's just like, ah, eh, right. I'm not, I can't get there. So to have telehealth options to at least broach the conversation, that's a huge increase in availability, increase right. in ease of access. So when you're really just, you know, apathetic and you're burnout, you're depressed, you're anxious, you don't want, you know, your executive functions are not running on, you know, full steam, you're not going to organize a Tuesday at nine and figure out on your day off how you're going to, you know, what are you going to do with the kids? How are you going to get to your appointment? You know, how are you going to schedule it? When, do the, when right. is the opening? I don't want to pull my calendar up. All those things that actually have to happen for you to get there. Right. Having a telehealth option is huge, especially if you're just coming off shift, if you've had a difficult run, if you've had a, you know, a, a pediatric death or, mm -hmm. you know, a, you know, some patient interaction that's been very impactful. Having that telehealth, I would, especially the MCHD listeners out there, we'll include all the information that we've talked about and mm -hmm. all these access points in our show notes. But I would encourage everyone, you know, if you call them up and you talk through something and you find out that everything is eh, okay and you make it into your next shift, so be it. But you may catch yourself kind of at that cliff edge there too. Right. And so something that just want to piggyback off that a little bit, uh, that's also allowed us the opportunity to make our uh, PHP and IOP virtual. Um, so which ease of access has increased significantly with that. We've ex actually expanded our Honor Strong program to a PHP and IOP program as well. Spell out the acronyms there just for the listeners. Partial now. hospitalization program is, is the PHP and intensive outpatient program is the IOP. IOP is usually the step down part of, from PHP. PHP is more intense and you actually get to see a psychiatrist. We try to step everybody down from the inpatient side to to the PHP side. You get a lot of, uh, that's more of a treatment side when, right there. If you're inpatient, that's crisis stabilization. You're in 100% crisis right then and there. Uh, we deal with the crisis, but then we also deal with the, uh, the treatment. So just, just for listeners' uh, knowledge sake, and this is, as an emergency physician, this is probably an area where I should be more learned, but when someone comes in and they're suicidal to the emergency department and they've got a plan, they got access to firearms at home, they may have a, a mental health history, you know, those, those patients pretty clearly, pretty quickly are going to get placed in inpatient care. 72 hour hold, yep. Period, period, the end, and until they're stabilized, just sure. what Justin's talking about. But that's going into inpatient care or going to a clinic visit those are two different extremes and they're, and they're far apart. And in the middle, there are other options and that's partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient treatment that Justin's talking about. And those are situations where, you know, I know some, some programs you go in for eight or nine hours a day and then you go home and sleep in your own bed. Right. Or you have multiple recurring visits with your counselor or your psychiatrist over several days in a row to try to step things down and having, you know, I didn't, I just learned something. So being able to have partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient care via telehealth, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's a game changer. It's, it's a big part of the confidentiality piece of it too. So the, the program is, is separate from our regular outpatient, um, general adult and, and adolescent. We have a separate confidential part for the, uh, 
the Honor Strong program. Law enforcement officers take pretty good advantage of that. Um, we don't see any of them really in-house for the outpatient program. They'll all be virtual. But that also opens it up to not just immediate people that live in our surroundings. It opens it all the way to the state. Um, insurance covers 100%, so it makes it very easy. That, that really, I mean, that's an, that's an expansion, right? You don't have to drive in. You know, you, it's easier to arrange child care. It's easier to arrange all the other grocery trips and everything that you have to do. I, I would, second piece I would I would plug in there from personal experience is if you, you know, having first responder trained counselors and therapists is, I mean, that's, that's huge. If you're listening out there and, you know, you want to talk to somebody about your stresses, again, and they have no idea what it's like to work at 24, what it's like to code a pediatric patient, mm-hmm. what it's like to, you know, witness all the, all the stress that we do every day, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a gigantic advantage. But if you go in with a therapist or a counselor and you sit down for that 30, 45 minutes and you walk out and you feel like, eh, he or she didn't get me, try another one. Right. right? It's, it's not a cable contract. You're not signed in for three years, and if you break it, you got to pay two months' rent, right? Well, and the, and the PHP program really is there ideally to catch before you have to go, you get to that point where you have to go inpatient. Right. We don't really want anybody to go inpatient because that means you're actually actively in a crisis. Um, the PHP side of it is really to catch and to start the treatment then before you get to that point. So I agree with that for sure. Yeah, just I just I've I've had folks where I've had really good relationships with and felt like I could really share. I've had others where I felt like, eh, it's just not a good match. And it's not personal. Right. It's not it's just, you know, you're gonna sit down and share your, your fears and your anxieties and the things that make you not sleep at night and make you angry at your kids and angry at your partners. Like it needs to be somebody that, that you have some sort of connection with. And mm-hmm. there's not, I mean, there's not a good way t- to know that off the bat. I don't feel like, do you, no. how, how do you feel about that? I, Sean? I, you know, I've had, when I was on the truck full time, I had my share of uh, critical incidents and, you mm-hmm. know, I had my issues coping. I had, I had compounding stress, especially when I was coming into the industry. You know, I, I, I didn't understand the thoughts that I was having. I, I would have, you know, kind of stress breakdowns on the side of the road after a bad car accident or after a bad pediatric call. Um, and then so whenever I started expanding into that, I thought, man, maybe there's something into this EAP. Maybe I should reach into this employee assistance program and talk to somebody. And I had I had some poor fits. You know, I had some very, very poor uh, experiences with counselors. And I built up a wall. I, fit, I thought, man, that's that's not for me. That's not my thing. And then, you know, a few more bad calls later, I started having those thoughts again. I would have nightmares. I would have, you know, the trouble sleeping, the trouble adjusting at home. I'd be lashing out. Uh, and so I, I got tagged along to another uh, counseling appointment with, uh, with somebody else in the family. I was like, man, I do not want to go to this. I didn't like my outcome. I don't want to be a part of this. I walked in uh, and I had, you know, probably within five minutes, you know, I, I walked in with the thought of uh, she's going she's gonna to read my thoughts. She's going to get in my head. Uh, and then the wall was broken down. I, I felt like I was uh, offloading years and years of stress. Uh, and within an hour, I was, I felt like a, you know, I, I was a new man. Like, you know, I had, I had all of these thoughts that I didn't know I was still having. Right. Uh, I had all this stress that I didn't know I was still holding on to. And then it's just finding that one, that one right person, that, that right counselor, that, that therapist, the person you can talk to that really understands you, uh, can work up a plan for you. That's realistic. You know, it's not, it's not like, uh, somebody that's going to come in and say, okay, you're not allowed to think this anymore. No, it's, you're going to have these thoughts. Whenever you have these thoughts, what do you do with them? Right. You know, how, how do you continue on through your day? And then what's your treatment plan moving forward? Do, maybe they want to see you twice a week. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's once every other week. And then just like the program in the hospital, it's stepping that back mm-hmm. and working down. So I, you know, I'm thankful that for me, uh, I, I found somebody and I share that with everybody. I say, Hey, this person worked well for me. And then I followed it up with, they may not be great for you. 
you know, you may have to follow up and find somebody else because it's just the person that worked for me and my personality. So I absolutely agree hundred percent. You know, you got to find that person that works for you. Right. And we, so we also track quality, um, outcomes data and clinical outcomes data. I think we're the only hospital in Houston, or Houston psychiatric hospital ones that, that tracks all the way through, you know, from admission through discharge. We use something called a basis 32 for the honor strong program. But so we use, we use that to make sure that we're actually hitting on the right stuff and that we're actually doing what we're supposed to be doing and we're actually making progress. Um, and if we're not, then we fix it. So what have you guys seen as far as like, uh, do you track return to work statistics or for, we do, um, we, st- we kind of got a little bit more into that now. Um, but, uh, for example, Fort Bend County has sent a significant amount of, of officers to us, not necessarily from the sheriff's office, but you know, from around the area, there's the responding agency for that, for that area. Um, I think, uh, 99%, uh, successful return rate to work. And That's the incredible. one that did not return to work, um, was legitimate just that was a legitimate homicidal ideations, things that was going to happen if he, uh, wasn't put under warrant. Um, and that was, that we exhausted every option before doing that. Um, it, it's incredible to follow statistics too, to be able to say, Hey, there's this success rate. Mm-hmm. There are outliers that don't work out. Uh, and you know, that's going to happen with everything. Sure. Uh, just as like cardiac or back problems, every, every other illness, you're going to have those things that are going to restrict you from work but the vast majority, you're going to have a positive case and return to work in a healthy lifestyle afterwards. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're going to be better because of it. And I, I would think with the expansion of the, of the partial and IOP that that, was, that would be even more significant. Yeah. And my own personal experiences led me, I guess, as a, you know, mid forties, you know, male, a lot of this stigma was, was ground in, you know, from, from a young age, you know, that talking to someone was quote unquote a weakness. And, you know, like you said, you know, suck it up you know, get over it, those sort of things. That's mm-hmm. very commonplace throughout most of my life. And sometimes I feel like that I listen to others talk and, and, and others that are struggling and they feel like that there's a single pathway to, or you're going to go see a counselor, then you're going to go see a psychiatrist and you're going to go be on medication. Then it's going to be this long ordeal. And I see it more as almost like house cleaning. You know, I think mm-hmm. in our job, we should probably expect that we're going to have to deal with stress relief, and you know debriefs and you know counseling appointments i almost think it should just be the expectation and not everything is leading to intensive outpatient treatment or, right. or hospitalization or you know suicidality for that sure. for that matter i mean it, it happens and it's double the double the national average so we need to be aware of it i don't want to minimize that end of it but sometimes it just may be a couple counseling appointments you get some things uh, off your chest you talk about you know mindfulness or meditation or deep breathing or exercise or whatever all the other non-pharmacologic things you can mm-hmm. do for stress relief and then maybe you're okay you know so i don't you're not buying into some you know long-term ordeal necessarily you i mean you may have sure. you know some folks have more baggage and more more things that they have to unpack than others and some people's problems run deeper um, you know, but some people go get their inhaler. They use it every now and again when they wheeze and exercise and they're not on chronic long-term steroids for their right. asthma, for example. So there's, there's wide variability there. And sometimes one of the resistance points that I see in folks is that idea that I'm going to go down this path and it's a never ending path and I'm never going to get off this road. When in all reality, you may just need to clean out your closet a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be all that it takes for you to get back some of that empathy you know, to get back in some of those other healthy habits. I'll, I'll put my cl- quick plug in here for, you know, Sean. Sean does it in every, uh, every every critical debrief that I've been a part of with him, and that's, you know, diet and exercise and sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 
it's way easier said than done as shift workers, uh, you know, substance use and abuse is, is prevalent, you know, that's been there, done that, sure. you know, it's, and not, not that we're talking about abstinence here, but if your stress relief is, is three cocktails, probably not healthy, you know, good sleep is important. Good exercise is important. Right. Doesn't mean you have to be a marathoner or a, an iron, iron man or iron woman, just, you know, some of those things. And, and the, the literature supports that. Yes. As far as, you know, depression and anxiety and exercise is, you know, on par with SSRI. So get out and get your fresh air this time of year. That's really important. I would I would put that on my list of things that I tell myself I'm taking my medicine when I don't wanna when I don't wanna get out and exercise. So those mm-hmm. I think those things are important. What else what yeah, else you wanna add, John? Doctor Patrick, I, I would agree hundred percent. You know, it doesn't have to be you're at a crisis or you're going into a crisis or going into a mental health issue, you know. Having those maintenance appointments, just if you if you had nothing going on, you're just like Man, I, I'm, I feel like I'm just in a rut. Uh, schedule that appointment, you know, go, go talk to somebody and just kind of work it out. It could be telehealth, it could be in person, and you just say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. We can talk about it, let's get through it, and, you know, talk with that counselor. Uh, and then they can work you out some plans where you say, okay, well, maybe you go for a walk, maybe you, you do this. It doesn't have to be that you're at that point. It could be a resilience, you know, a kind of a, a maintenance uh, visit, and then you come out and you say, okay, here are some things I can work on myself, and you can move on from there. It doesn't have to be at that point no, we had not, a I mean that's kind of what we cover everything from we while we opted to cover everything from the inpatient crisis stabilization side all the way through the IOP because really at that point it's more of, of here's some resources for you here's some here's some tricks here's some tips uh, you know we're not going to make you get in a group and hug and sing kubaya and cry on each other's shoulders you know I mean that's one of the big things we've seen too is like well I don't want to go cry in front of everybody we don't have to that's so, fine so know? Justin I'm gonna I'm gonna carry off of that and say uh, if we've got people on the truck right now, they uh, maybe they didn't run a bad call. They didn't they didn't have a bad day. They're maybe arguing with their spouse or they're they're not getting along with that partner. You know, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of interpersonal conflicts that can add stress to your day. Sure. So that person that's on the truck right now, uh, you know, we have a lot of listeners, a paramedic. It could be a, on a fire truck or a squad car for a, a law enforcement. What is what is some easy things that they can do right now to try to. Uh, reset their day. They could feel a little bit better. They can have a better outlook and they can have some plans to work forward. Like, uh, uh, I would tell them to look up some, you know, anything resiliency based. We're, we're a resiliency based program. Uh, so anything along those lines uh, is kind of ideal. I mean, I agree with the, with, with what you said about the exercise, sleep, uh, you know, for stress. That's, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it, but I, w- I would just find what works for you. And if it's, if it's something you don't think you can handle on your, on your own, then there's other options out there to help. And we're happy to take, you know, if you have links or yeah, things, I'll, I'll make sure and get things y'all that, you, that y'all typically provide from a resiliency standpoint. I'll put my, my quick shameless plug in. I do not get paid from, from the, the company, but I've had personally uh, good success and corny as it may sound. I use the headspace app on, on, uh, on my phone. Uh, it's a fairly inexpensive and uh, kind of one-time fee mindfulness app that, you know, you can do sessions in as, in as short as, you know, five to 10 minutes. And, and there's, you know, all kinds of different roads you can go down. And mm-hmm. um, I, when I get kind of that feeling where it's things aren't right and you feel like you're sliding a little bit, it's worked for me. Right. Um, I, you know, I go in phases where I'll use it a lot. It usually is centered around family stress. You know, when family gets crazy. That's when, <laughs> that's when I need it the most. For some reason, my kids stress me out more than my patients these days. I guess that's the way it goes as a parent, but... You know, so that. <laughs> that, that, that would be, you know, if you check out Headspace, and again, you can, you can snicker and laugh, but it's definitely helped me out some. What, what, would what you we add? could do, we can provide a list of, of what we've seen work 
sure. best for uh, yeah, for great. the program uh, of it, like our wellness, so personal wellness, anything that safety trauma, anything like that. Mm -hmm. For sure. What's your What's your uh, go to? I I like to fall back on like uh, the Code Read campaign. It's very veteran. It's uh, first responder centric. It It's got a lot of uh, good resources for us. And then just uh, reaching out to peers. I, I think the the biggest wealth of knowledge is the person next to you that's already gone through it. Absolutely. Uh, and like I kind of hinted at the beginning. We, we don't publish. We don't say, oh, this person did this. Uh, so if you need somebody, go talk to them. We don't do that. You know, that's that's part of our confidentiality. But if if you do or have if you're having issues, there's a very high likelihood that the person sitting right next to you on that ambulance, right next to you in that fire truck is going through that same thing or they have gone through or they know right. somebody that's gone through it. So reach out, say, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time sleeping. I, I have nightmares. And, you know, maybe they'll come back with a joke. They'll be like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Uh, and you're like, no, no, really. I mean. I, I'm having a little bit of issues. What What do you think I could do? Uh, oh, okay. Well, let's let's do this. And I would encourage if you're on the opposite end of that, if you're on the receiving end of that, you know, be be that reach. And if if you don't know where to send them, then say, I I have no idea. I'm not the person to talk to. Here's this person. Mm -hmm. You know, don't turn them away. Don't chastise them. Don't make them feel bad because how they are. But be that resource. Right. And MCAC listeners out there, if it's not your partner, if it's not your soup, Sean is for better or for worse, available 24 uh, seven at his own detriment. So uh, my wife can attest. You've always got Sean. And on that note, you know, again, thanks Sean for putting this together. Thanks Justin for coming. I would encourage all of, all of our local listeners out there and, and national listeners for that matter, honor strong program. Just, it just sounds tailor made for, you know, what we're talking about may mental health month. This is, you know, Sean laid it out at the beginning. This is something that one in four of us are going to deal with, probably more than that, because I'd say that number is underreported. You know, mm -hmm. double suicide rate. Let's let's break the stigma down, break these walls down. And I think if we talk a little bit more about it and we're open with each other about it, that's that's the obvious first step. So thank both of you all for coming. I didn't do any work today other than sit here and jab. <laughs> this was all these two. So thank both of you all. Thank you all for listening on youtube subscribe to our youtube channel uh, as always if you have questions or concerns ideas for future podcast podcast at mchd-tx.org is where you can reach us leave us a like leave us a review wherever you listen we always appreciate it and as always thanks for listening we'll talk to everybody again soon this podcast was brought to you by the montgomery county hospital district texas production and editing by andrew adams questions or comments which are always welcome can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts music copyright kevin mcleod and competech.com licensed under creative commons by attribution 3.0